You uh, may have noticed on your way in this morning that the foyer is uh, coming along. We finally got uh, the approvals that we need to kind of take the next steps. But uh, in that process, the gathering hall has been turned into uh, what might look like Santa's workshop, if there was a Santa. And so there's no coffee hour today because it's just been taken over with sawdust instead. But um, no coffee hour today, but take advantage of the opportunity and take somebody out for coffee and uh, spend the time together. Also, we're at a stage in the development of the foyer where we could use a lot of extra help this week. And so if you would have some time and get in touch with Becky, if you can swing a paintbrush or you can nail a nail with a hammer, uh, we need you. So um, this would be the week that we hope to make some significant progress and we're kind of ready to go. And so if you could help out this week, that'd be really great uh, if you would see Becky and uh, offer whatever time you might have. I'd like to invite you to uh, think with me this morning uh, during our uh, time from the Word uh, about the subject of fear, fear. I wonder if you would um, kind of do an inventory in your own mind and ask yourself, you know, what is it that I'm afraid of? What is it that I'm afraid of? What, what scares me the most in life? What what losses that might come our way scare me, uh, create fear? You know, there are all kinds of situations and circumstances in life that give rise to fears. Um, we just sang this song, right? I'm no longer a slave to fear. You don't have to fear, but that doesn't mean that we still don't have the reality of fear in our lives. We're not a slave to it, but they are realities in our life. There's all kinds of things. Uh, some of us have enemies. Uh, there are accidents. There are diseases. There are terrorists. There are earthquakes. There's old age. There's addictions. There's death. There's rejection by other people. There's shame. There's loneliness. There's losses. There's secrets. There's failures, and so on and so forth. What, what scares you? What, what makes you afraid? Just kind of get something in mind that... Um, you might fear, right? Everybody, I think, feels the feeling of fear from time to time. But I want to suggest to you this morning that every time that feeling of fear shows up in our lives, we have a choice. We have a choice. Uh, will we give fear control in our lives? Or will we say no to fear and instead embrace faith? We have a choice, when it comes to the reality uh, of fear. I have a choice to make. I can't experience fear and faith at the same time. Fear and faith cannot coexist at the same time. I have to make a choice between whether I'll allow fear to control me or I'll exercise my faith. Now, the Bible, uh, God's word, comes right out and says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that fear does not come from God, okay? For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Fear does not come from God. I mean, it's pretty blunt, right? And so as we continue to look at um, Moses and we continue to think about the people of Israel uh, leaving Egypt. Uh, and we think about Moses as a mentor for our own personal lives, a mentor for us in our relationship with God. 
on our way to becoming better servant leaders, uh, I want to suggest to you that there's a process that we can notice, a process of moving away from fear and towards faith. And that it's a process that God would have all of his children go through. Um, moving away from fear and moving toward faith. There is a process of moving to become less fearful and more faith-filled. A process of learning to say no to fear and yes to faith. Now just think of how often it might be that the God of the universe has tapped your shoulder and asked you to somehow serve him in some leadership, some servant leadership capacity. How often have you had the thought that maybe came directly from God that he has this or that in mind for you, this or that person to talk to, this or that person to witness to, this or that person to do a good deed for, whatever. And how often has fear gotten in the way of actually saying yes to God and doing what he's asked you to do? How often do we allow fear to stand between us and God's will for us? And what can we learn from Moses and from the people uh, of Israel about how it is uh, that God moves us through this process away from fear and towards faith? And so we've seen, um, if you've been keeping track, we've seen some things that Moses has taught us. The first thing we saw was that God moved Moses into the desert. Moses went from being royalty in Egypt, right, to being a shepherd in a desert. And so God taught him humility. And uh, the first thing when we think about being mentored by Moses is the reality uh, that God would build humility into us. And then second, uh, we saw that um, uh, God then led Moses to trust in God's revelation of himself to Moses. Remember, God came to Moses in the burning bush and so forth, and Moses kind of had some resistance, and God revealed himself. He gave Moses uh, the opportunity to do some miracles and so forth. Uh, God encouraged Moses to trust in his revelation of himself. And then third, we saw that, you know, when you do things right and things still go wrong, that God-first people or people who are, if you will, mentored by uh, people like Moses, when, things, when you do things right and things go wrong, servant leaders... Believe that God has a purpose in that, that there's a reason for that. Remember, we looked at Romans 8, 28 and said that God is actually at work in, those, uh, in all of the different circumstances in our life. Uh, and the reality is we are part of something bigger than just ourselves. We are not in the center of our universe. God is in the center of our universe. And God is working things, even when things go wrong, for his ultimate good and for his purposes, and we saw that. And so this morning, then, I'd like to invite you to think with me or to notice with me uh, that a God-first person's life, in a God-first person's life, uh, faith begins to overcome fears and frees us up as we just sang. Fear looks inside and finds instability and insecurity in ourselves. Faith looks to God and finds stability and finds security in God. And so faith and fear don't exist at the same time. So Moses was called to serve God, as you know, by announcing these judgment miracles to Pharaoh, uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and to convince him to let God's people go. And uh, finally, we got to the 10th judgment, the last judgment, and um, it was the fact that every firstborn Egyptian, even of their animals, 
uh, died on the same night. Just imagine what that must have been like. Every firstborn of the Egyptians died on the same night. And not only that, but God then, as we saw, passed over all the Hebrew houses and families who by faith took the blood of that sacrificial lamb and put it on the doorposts of their house. And so the angel of death, and the Bible says the Lord himself passed over and how that points to Jesus Christ being our sacrificial lamb and how by faith when we appropriate the blood of Christ to our lives, God passes over our sinfulness and the judgment that we uh, rightly deserve uh, for our sin. And so here's what happened on that night. I'm in Exodus chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. you imagine that? Then he summoned Moses and Aaron and, uh, that night, and uh, he said, uh, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, take your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. Pharaoh's begging Moses and the Israelites to leave, right? He's like, I've had enough. You win. Uh, and please, leave. And notice that last little thing, bless me also. Bless me also. It's almost like, um, it sounds like, um, he finally realized, the Pharaoh realized, the superiority of Israel's God. Um, it seems like a crack in the door in an otherwise sort of anti-Semitic attitude that the Pharaoh had. You might remember in chapter 5 of Exodus, in verse 2, uh, when Moses first went to the Pharaoh, here's what the Pharaoh said about Israel's God. Pharaoh said in response to Moses, who is the Lord? Who is this Israel's God, right? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Who is this God? You know, I don't know this God, the God of Israel. And uh, kind of an anti-Semitic remark. And anti-Semitism is still alive and well, as we saw in the news uh, even this past week, right? Very much alive in our world. And so in the next verse, verse 33, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we're going to all be dead if you people don't get out of here. And so um, out they go. The people leave that same night, the night of the Passover. Uh, verse 37. Uh, the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Pretty good-sized crowd. Um, a mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds, and so on. Uh, verse 40. Uh, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 340 years. They had been in, is in uh, Egypt, I'm sorry, 430 years. A little dyslexic there. All right, sorry about that. And then verse 42. Uh, notice what it says. 
it was a night of watching by the Lord. That must have been some sight, right? Must have been something to see. Even God was sitting in heaven watching this exodus of his people uh, from the grip of Pharaoh. Um, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout all their generations. The Lord sat and watched this going on. And uh, this Passover celebration is still celebrated today uh, by faithful Jewish people. And so in chapter 13, we see that it's God himself now who is going to lead the people. In chapter 13, verse 17 and 18, um, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, um, although that was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So there was a couple ways they could go, right, from Egypt to the promised land. And one was along the Mediterranean coast, but there were uh, garrisons of Egyptians along that, and so God didn't lead them that. That would have been the most direct way and the shortest way and so on. Uh, but God didn't lead them in that way. But God led the people... Um, around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And when the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, and, and so on. And, uh, and then in chapter 14, notice how specifically God leads them to the places where they're encamped. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back, kind of do a U-turn, in the wilderness, to turn back and uh, encamp in front of uh, pi Hihareth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. And you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh then is going to say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. So God has a plan here, right? He's telling the people to... Make a U-turn, and Pharaoh's going to hear about it, and somehow he's going to think that the people are lost and so forth. And God says again, like we've seen before in verse 4, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and he's going to pursue them, and I'm going to get the glory over Pharaoh. Something bigger is going on here than just what's happening to the Israelites. And something bigger is going on in our lives than just what's happening to us in the everyday business of living. I'm going to get the glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and the Egyptians are going to know that I am the Lord. Something's going on that's bigger than just the situation. And so they did so. Um, so here we go again. The Israelites are going to do what's right, but their situation is going to turn wrong. They're, they're all excited. They're just out of Egypt. Uh, they're on their way out. God himself is leading them. He's at work, however, glorifying himself. If you were to ask, you know, what is the chief end of man? The catechism says, you know, it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Why are we here? What's our purpose? It's to bring God glory. It's to show off how great God really is. And uh, that's what God was teaching us through uh, being able to observe what he did with the Israelites here. And um, so in verse uh, 5, 
It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed. Oh, wow, he changed his mind toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done, that we let Israel go from serving us? Like they had this moment of reality. Oh, my goodness, all our slaves are gone. Who's going to do all the work? You know, 600,000 men plus all the women and children. And so they um, have this change of mind. And so he makes ready his chariots and he takes his army with him and so forth. Verse 9 says, the Egyptians pursued the Israelites, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army overtook them and camped at the sea by Phi-Hahareth in front of Baal-Zephon. So sure enough, here it goes, right? We do everything right, and uh, things turn out wrong. The Red Sea is in front of them. The Egyptian army is behind them. You know, I bet the news spread like wildfire in that camp, and they didn't even have cell phones or social media, right? But I bet in an instant, everybody turned around and saw that the Egyptians were following. They experienced now the sinking feeling of great fear. Uh, notice this um, in the scriptures. Um, verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. They feared greatly. They had that sinking feeling of great fear. They go from this place of great optimism, leaving Egypt uh, richer than they've ever been, everybody's together and so forth, into this desperate situation of sheer fear. And I think we can understand uh, the people. I think we can understand uh, how frustrated they might be in this scenario, uh, how scared they might be, great fear. But on the other hand, these people had just witnessed God do 10 miraculous things. And they saw the hand of God in releasing. They were the ones who cried out to God to get out of that slavery. And God came and delivered them in miraculous ways, 10 times. And not only that, but God is right there in the pillar of fire, in the cloud by day. God is present with them. God is the one that's leading them. And yet they have this great fear, even though God is right there uh, with them. And, and you think, you know, God specifically led them directly to this place and to this situation. Uh, and even though it looked like they were trapped with no way out, and uh, even though it looked like it might be over for them, you kind of want to ask the question, well, where's your faith? And it's easy for us because we're looking back and we know that God's going to act. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, there's a verse in um, Corinthians uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 that I've often over the years gone back to time and time again, it's a promise that God makes. And, and I've been in situations where, you know, I go back to this verse and I pray it back to God. I say, God, you have promised to make a way out. I've been in a situation where it just feels like, you know, there's no way out of this. Right? Haven't you? Been in situations and you say, I don't know what we're going to, I don't know how this is going to work out and so on. Uh, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. That in itself is a challenge. You think that this is really intense and that you're the only person who's ever felt like this. You're the only person who's ever been up against it. And God says, no, nothing will come into your life that's not common to everybody. <laughs> that's a challenge in itself. 
Then it says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. That's the part that I pray back to God. You know what, God, you promised to provide a way. And at this stage of my life, when I look back and I think about those situations where it looked like there was no way out, I'm still here. God provided a way. He made a way through the wilderness, right? Like we sing that song. Uh, so that you may be able to endure it, whatever it is that God has led you into. And so to be able to trust God, to not choose to allow fear to control, uh, but to allow um, faith to take over. And so this disorganized bunch of slaves uh, up against this well-heeled army of the Egyptians, caught between a rock and a hard place, what do the people do? (laughs) Well, they turn on Moses. That's what they do. Um, It's kind of interesting to see what happens. They turn on Moses. They've got to blame somebody, right? And so they said to Moses, uh, verse 11, they said to Moses, sarcastically, I think, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? You ever blame somebody for something and at the root of that, the reality is there's a fear inside of you that you're not facing or that you're not willing to deal with and so you just blame somebody else? Just think about whatever it is you said at the beginning of this service was a a fear that you had. And uh, do you find yourself like at least tempted to blame somebody for it? Uh, They start to blame Moses. It's your fault, you know. And then in verse 12, they throw out, and I told you so, right? And they said to Moses, uh, uh, they said to Moses, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. I tried to think of a situation where, you know, I've blamed somebody and really it was a fear that was in uh, in my own life. And I, I... All of a sudden, this incident in my childhood popped into my head. Um, When I was a kid, I had a friend, and uh, his dad was the pastor of a church that was right down the street, and so we kind of hung out together. And uh, it was, um, it must have been October because it was uh, the night before Halloween, which back then we used to call mischief night, right? And um, I don't know, I had this idea that wouldn't it be cool if we got some water balloons, filled balloons up with water, threw them up in the air and see if we could land them on a car. Ah. So we filled up some balloons and we we're at his house and his house was on kind of a main street and it had a great big tree in the front yard, uh, pretty close to the road. And so we hid behind the tree, we had some water balloons and uh, I take the first balloon, okay, and I throw it up in the air and it comes down perfectly. I mean, it couldn't have been better, right on the windshield of a car. It was at night. You know, all you could see was the headlights coming at you and just sort of timed it out, threw the thing up in the air, came right down, right on the windshield of the car, right? What we didn't count on is the car stopped. Lights came on on the top of the car, okay? And um, we took off. We just ran. We ran to his backyard, and his parents, this is how dumb we were, his parents had just gotten a new refrigerator, and the cardboard box for the refrigerator was out in the backyard. So the two of us 
dive into this box. It's the most obvious place where we're going to be, right? All of a sudden, this flashlight comes, looks into the box, sees the two of us. We're as quiet as can be. And this cop says, come out of there, boys, you know. Comes out, he gets out his pad, he gets out his pen. What's your name, right? I said, my name is Dave DeVries. He looks at me, he says, I know your father. I'm dead, right? <laughs> First thing I say, I still remember this, right? I point to the other kid and I say, it was his idea. Because <laughs> I know that I'm going to be in deep weeds if this cop goes and tells my father what we did, what I did. He hadn't even thrown a balloon yet. It's his idea. I'm scared, and the first thing I do is look for somebody to blame. Now, just think about it. Are you blaming somebody for something, whatever it is? And ask yourself a hard question. Is at the root of my blaming somebody else a reality of some fear that I just don't, know, I don't have enough faith to offset? And so I'm looking for somebody to blame. And that's these people, right? They're blaming Moses. Did you bring us out here because there's not enough graves in Egypt? Kind of sarcastic, right? And, um, and, and then they're like, you know, I told you so. And it seems to me like these people forgot it's God who brought you out of Egypt. They forgot that they were part of something bigger than just themselves. They forgot that actually there is something better than just staying alive. Notice their reasoning there in that 12th verse. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, the... Yeah, the 12th verse. Uh, Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And I think to myself, isn't there anybody in that crowd of 600,000 plus people that thinks it was actually better to experience the rescue, the salvation of God from Egypt... And even if I were to die tomorrow, it would have been better than just staying a slave in Egypt. Isn't there anybody who thinks that the experience of the love of God and his mighty hand is better than life itself? You know this psalm, right? Psalm 63, 3. It says, because, you are, because your steadfast love is better than life, There is something better than just living like a slave in Egypt. And it's the love of God. And wouldn't it have been better to experience the love of God, even if it's just a little taste and just the beginning of the love of God, than to just live as a slave forever and wonder if God really cared about me. You know, last week when the choir sang and LaVon sang the last song, they sang this verse, right? Your love is better than life itself. Is there anything better in your life than life itself? God's love is better than life itself. And I I think, you know, isn't it sad that nobody in that crowd, or at least it's not noted here, uh, would say, you know what? It's better that we've experienced the deliverance of God, the salvation of God, than even to ever go back and just live without knowing the salvation and the rescue of God. And I think, is that the way we think? Or do we have such a fear of dying that, you know, we think, no, it'd be better to just live in slavery than it would be to experience even just the beginning of God's great salvation. Uh, Even if I were to die tomorrow, your steadfast love, oh God, is better than life itself. 
Uh, these people uh, are going to have the same reaction again and again. If you read forward in Exodus, you'll see these people just keep having the same reaction every time they're, they're afraid. Every time God allows something to come into their life that creates a problem, they fear instead of believe. And uh, they have the same reaction again and again. And all that to say, you know, getting away from fear and into faith is a process. It's a process. It doesn't happen just uh, instantly. Uh, But look at Moses, right? Um, In Exodus chapter 14, where we were, uh, verses 13 and 14, Moses says to the people, so they're crabbing against Moses, they're blaming Moses, and so forth. What does Moses say to the people? This is great. Moses says to the people, fear not. Moses recognizes that they're crabbing at him as just their own fears. Because they don't know what because the, the Egyptians are on their heels and the Red Sea is in front of them, and uh, they're scared to death. And so Moses says, chill out. Fear not. I've said time and time again, the single most repeated command in the entire Bible is this, fear not. Somebody counted them up. There's 366 times where the Bible comes out and says, in one form or another, fear not. It's the most repeated command in the Bible. And then he says, stand firm. Fear not. Uh, stand firm. Abraham Lincoln once said, be sure you put your feet in the right place and then stand firm. You got to make sure you put your feet in the right place. There's nothing worse than putting your feet in the wrong place and taking a stand for something that's wrong and standing firm and being a jerk about it, right? Haven't you ever done that? You know, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And you're wrong. And time proves. So be sure that where you put your feet, where you stand, is the right place. And then once you're there, stand firm, Abraham Lincoln. And so Moses says this, you know, um, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Look at this. Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today, which he will work for you. You just stand still and let God do for you what he wants to do. Uh, This is really uh, interesting um, because for God's salvation, and, you know, the salvation of the Lord, the whole message of God throughout the Bible is about his salvation, saving people from what we deserve. It's the single message, the theme that runs through the entire scriptures, uh, saving us from having to live like this for all of eternity, right? He closed off the way to the tree of uh, everlasting life so that we wouldn't have to live like this. And he introduced death so that we could get out of this life and into the life that he has prepared for us. All you got to do is stand still and and look what else Moses says. Uh, For the Egyptians who, Moses says, for who you see today, you'll never see them again. These people that you're afraid of, don't worry about it, right? And then he says this in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to shut up. All you got to do is stand still and listen. Stop whining. Stop trying to figure it out yourself. Stop trying to do what only God can actually do. And just listen, God is all about salvation, saving us uh, from living like this forever. Salvation is a gift. It can't be earned. It can't be achieved. It can't be bought. Uh, You can't create it. You can only receive it. But you have to be silent. You have to listen. You have to be humbled. 
You have to be convinced of the revelation of God, that he's telling us the truth, that it's God who's behind his word. Right? You have to know that when things turn bad, there's a purpose for it, there's a reason for it. Life is about something bigger than just us. And you have to make a choice not to fear, but to embrace faith in God. Uh, the road from fear to faith is paved with belief. And uh, this reminds me of an incident, right, that took place in the New Testament. In, um, you know, Matthew chapter 8, uh, the Lord had been uh, really busy. He had just uh, preached the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he had been casting out demons, and they had an extremely uh, busy day of ministry. And the Lord was tired. And uh, Jesus gets into a boat, and the disciples get into the boat with him after a long day. And they're out on the Sea of Galilee, and um, Jesus falls asleep, and a storm comes up, right? You remember the story here in um, Matthew chapter 8. Let me read it for you. Uh, When they got into the boat, when he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. And uh, behold, there arose a great storm on the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been to Israel and on the Sea of Galilee, you know that at the north end of the Sea of Galilee, there's a mountain formation that when the wind comes off the Mediterranean... Uh, it sort of funnels uh, the wind right through two big mountain peaks, and uh, it's very common to have like major storms uh, turn up on the uh, Sea of Galilee, and so uh, I would assume that's what was happening. And so the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. <laughs> and they went and woke him up, and they said, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Why are you filled with fear? Oh, you of little faith. He nicknames them. He calls them little faith. The tribe of little faith. The, the tribe of small convictions, really, the, the term. Oh, you of, he gives them a nickname, little faith. Oh, you of little faith. Then he rose, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and it was a great calm. And the disciples marveled, blew him away. Why? Because... They got another picture of who it is that's in the boat with them, right? And that's what we need, right? Another picture of who's in our boat with us, who this Jesus really is. And they marvel, and they said, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? I'll tell you what sort of man. It's the Son of God. It's Emmanuel, God, with us, and he's in our boat, And if we believed it, what would happen to our fears? And what difference would that make in the way that we lived our everyday lives? And it's the same situation way back here in the Old Testament with the people up against the Red Sea. And um, I think Jesus could have given them the same nickname, Oh, you of little faith. It's not our circumstances. It's not about our circumstances. It's about our trust in the one who's telling us which way to go. Just think about, in your own life, how many storms has God brought you through in the past? And you're still here. Why doesn't that give us confidence when we face the next storm? And by the way, could it be that God allows the storms to come into our lives specifically so that we could develop faith, so that we could grow in the midst of the storms? Because without the storms... 
We don't stretch our faith. Our faith doesn't get stretched. And God is not willing to leave us living with our fears. And so he brings these storms into our lives specifically to develop our faith so that we won't be people of small conviction or little faith. Um, And we end up marveling about who he really is. Life, remember we said this, is 10% what happens to you and 90% the way you respond to it. And God has given us the power uh, to respond in ways that grow our faith. And so Moses uh, says uh, to the people whose uh, situation probably felt like the end of the line in verses uh, 13 and 14 back here in Exodus. Um, I just think these are words worth, uh, I mean, I've underlined in my Bible. Uh, but fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, you'll never see him again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Just stop it and exercise your faith. I mean, these are just great words. And uh, and then the Lord says to Moses, uh, next verse, the Lord says to Moses, um, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Go forward. Here's the deal. Faith always results in actions. Faith always results in... We always act on what we really believe. You agree with that? We always act on what we really believe. And so when our beliefs change or strengthen, it changes our actions. We always act on what we really believe. And you can just think about that in in any uh, area of our lives. Uh, It's true. And so... You know, God says to Moses, tell the people to go forward. Take a step. If you're going to believe me, if you're going to get rid of fear and live by faith, then take a step and move forward. He tells Moses, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. You know what? Even today, anybody who reads this and believes it gives glory to God over any other God, right? Here we are, thousands of years later, we're still taking this truth of what God did for the Israelite people and the Egyptians, and we're growing by it. And Because why? Because God said, I'm going to glorify myself. I'm going to show the whole world, anybody who will listen, who it is that really is in control of this world, who it is that really is the creator. And uh, these uh, people, you know, uh, miss this opportunity. I think this was part of um, hearing um, God and acknowledging God for who he is. And from then on, all the way until today, And again, real faith shows up in our actions. We always act on what we really believe. So God says to Moses, tell the people, step forward, go, do what, go where I'm leading. Uh, God promised to bring the people out of Egypt and into the promised land, no matter what happens along the way. It's kind of like God's promise to us that I am bringing you into a place called heaven on the other side of your life, no matter what happens along the way. Don't lose faith. Don't let go of the promises of God. I will do what I say. You can trust me. And I will bring you into this great place called heaven, the promised land. And this uh, example of the 
Israelites simply tells us that things can happen uh, along the way. But I want to say that spiritual experience in our lives is based more on obedience than education. The reality of experiencing God's uh, presence and life inside of us depends more on uh, stepping forward than it does on education. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' day were the most educated. I'm not poo-pooing education. It's important. But the scribes and the Pharisees the most were thought to be, anyway, the most educated people. They totally missed what God was up to because they wouldn't do what Jesus said. And they wouldn't think like Jesus did. Um, sometimes I've said, you know, uh, servant leadership is way more about my I will than it is about my IQ. Somehow we've developed a way of thinking that we think that, you know, our IQ is more important than our I will. But I think not. And so every day is full of opportunities to make choices, and often our choices are between uh, fear and faith. Uh, David is a great example. David, you know, the King David of Israel later on. Uh, David uh, wrote the Psalms, and um, all, uh, many of the Psalms are all about situations that create fear and how David uh, resolved them in his mind. And in Psalm 56, there's a great uh, advice, I think, as to uh, how to deal with the reality of uh, fear. In verses 3 and 4, uh, David writes this. He says, when I'm afraid, so first of all, he admits that he's afraid. David's king. He's a warrior. He's a fighter. He's, uh, you know, uh, a man's man. And he says, when I'm afraid, he's not pretending that he's never afraid. So he admits it. He says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I realize I have a choice. I have a choice to make. When I am afraid, I choose instead to put my trust in you. And all of a sudden, fear goes down and faith goes up. Well, how do you get to the point where you can live like that, David? Well, I'm glad you asked, David says. In God, whose word I praise. The only way you can get to have confidence in God is to be in his word. And to know what he says. And to be aware of the promises that he makes to his people. He says, in God, whose word I praise. He has very high regard for the word of God. Because the word of God is... God's words are all powerful. Everybody knows, right, in the very beginning. I don't know whether people believe it or not, but the Bible says that everything that exists in our world and in our universe, God spoke into being just by his words. His words are all powerful. His word can create life. And so he gives us his word, and he says, listen, put your word in your heart, put my word in your heart, and I'll put life in you through my word. God's word's able to create life. And he creates spiritual life when we embrace his word over our fears. Um, somebody said one time, what you think about, you bring about. What you tell yourself, especially. A lot of fear comes from telling ourselves the opposite of what God tells us in his word. Isn't that right? You know, you say, oh, man, I'm such a jerk. God says, no, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You have tremendous potential, you know. God, we say to ourselves, oh, well, you know, I just didn't get any breaks in life. Poor me. God says, I'll be with you. 
me, God, I'm in your boat. And if we tell ourselves what God tells us, it changes everything. Um, actually, uh, there's a, a proverb that says that life and death are in the tongue. And um, we all know that God's words are all-powerful and that he just speaks and things come into existence and God has given us the power to choose. Free will is one of the best gifts that God has given us. And um, when we choose our own, what we say to ourselves and um, everything in the universe, right? Uh, words that we speak to ourselves, if they're positive and faith-based or negative and fear-based, shape our lives. Words of God have that power to reshape our life after the likeness of Christ. But only we can choose our words and our thoughts. Uh, again, I think free choice is one of the best gifts that God's given us. Anybody can change their life by changing their minds. And you change your mind by telling yourself the word, the truth of God. And the word of God is living and it's active and it changes us because we're choosing faith over fear. Um, you know, anything less than a God-first life will simply not satisfy us. And that's why I think David the psalmist also said, delight yourself in the Lord, and I will give you the desires of your heart. There is a way to be satisfied in life, and it's by taking the words of God and making them our own and telling ourselves the truth uh, based on what God has revealed for us. And so fill your mind with God's thoughts and God's word, the truth about you, and say no to fears. And watch how your fears will decrease and your faith will increase. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just pause here again this morning to thank you for how great you really are. I'm no longer a slave to fear. You've paid a price to set us free. But that doesn't mean that we always live in the freedom, Father, that you've provided for us. It's our choice. And uh, sometimes, Father, we're so in the habit of living by fear that we're just going through life blaming other people instead of facing our fears and inviting faith to take their place so that we can get going in life, so that we can be all that you've called us into being to be, so that we can be servant leaders. And uh, part of being mentored, uh, I think, this morning by Moses uh, enables us to understand that, you know, sometimes there's lots bigger things going on, that you are seeking to glorify yourself through us. And it's not just about our little small circumstances. And I pray that you would enable us, Father, to not get caught up in the circumstances and to live in fear, but instead to rise above by faith and to recognize, Father, that we're your people and that you're watching over us and that you're leading us and that it's your spirit and your word and your presence in our lives that makes the difference. And that we would live in ways that other people could glorify you as they see and know us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.